back again for another edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast, the only show that discusses anything and everything independently baseball. So get ready for more Indie Ball Report podcast. Hello and welcome back again, yet again, another edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast presented by no one. It's always terrible to make these jokes when we do a solo show because there's nobody there just to kind of like chuckle back at me so that way I don't feel as self-conscious about making terrible jokes like that. But as you could probably guess, it is a, yet again uh, another solo show. I say yet again like we've done one of these recently. I don't think we've done one of these in a couple of months. I was the only one that was able to become available for today's show. So I will be handling the uh, workload. So this week you're going to get a little gypped. You're going to be only receiving uh, probably about a 20 to 35 minute long show, somewhere in that range, just because, as I've said in the past, it is very, very difficult to carry a one-man show. It's it's not fun, <laughs> mainly because this is a discussion-based show, and if you only have one person there, there obviously can be no discussion. You're just talking into the void. And while sure that works for some topics, there's a lot of them that it just doesn't work. Like originally the plan was to do a breakdown Sioux City's offseason, but there really can't be much of a back and forth there. There can't really be much of a debating ideas there. And so without that, it's going to be a bit rough for me just to say, I really like this about their offseason. I really like this about their offseason. I'd like to at least have the opportunity to have some pushback against that assertion there from from somewhere, which obviously I won't get if it's a solo show. So today's show is mostly just housekeeping stuff. Uh, it was a pretty quiet week in general, independent league baseball, a uh, handful of signings and stuff. But as you guys know, we don't really just go through each and every signing here. That's pretty tedious and boring. And uh, quite frankly, you guys could just kind of do the same thing that we do, which is just look up the player's name and baseball reference and make a decision based off of their stats, if they're good, bad, or in between. Regardless, so we do have some Atlantic League news, we have some some American Association news, and I guess a touch of Frontier League news, and we also go out to the Pacific Association as well. Uh, then there's also the article we put up, we put in some revisions there, we got some updated information, some more quotes, so we update the article on our site, and also if you guys are unaware, we also have it up on underreview.org, good friend of the show over there, <clears throat> Yeah, James is a good friend of the show, and... He offered to put it up on his site to try and get us more traction. So definitely go over there and check that out on uh, under review as well. That's also got all those updates that I mentioned. He also does some really cool uh, independent hockey league stuff. I believe a uh, federal hockey league and Southern professional hockey league too. So if you're kind of into the whole independent league sports scene or minor league sports in general, and you're a hockey fan, check that out. That's some quality content over there as well. But uh, we're going to start today's show here, nearly four minutes in to my ramblings, with uh, the new jerseys for York. So the York Revolution got some brand new road jerseys. They got road grays. These are brand new ones. And because this is such a visual platform, as you could tell, I'm going to describe to you exactly what these jerseys look like. There's going to be an actual link in the show notes if you want to just quickly show over to our website, IndieBarReport.com. Go to show notes, go to episode 53, and then just click the uh, click the little drop-down menu. You can go right to the link, and you'll find uh, York, New Jersey's. Then there'll be pictures of them there. But uh, basically, they have a gunmetal gray kind of look, so a really kind of darker gray. And then they have yellow trim, 
going down the middle, like right by where the uh, the kind of buttons are. So, you know, like the kind of, I don't want to say wishbone, but, you know, the single stripe type thing. That's going to be a yellow trim. So around the sleeve, it's a yellow trim. And then they have a uh, have kind of like a stencil looking number that is yellow and done up in a white outline there as well so it looks very nice uh but it does look an awful lot like a stencil uh, although presumably that's by design and then the really distinctive feature is in black so it's black against the gamel gray there is a skyline wrap around the midsection so going right along the waistline of the jersey you have this outline of the york skyline and that goes about midway up onto the jersey there. So it does look rather nice. Uh, we conducted a little bit of a poll on the social media over on our Instagram, IndieBall, at IndieBallReport, if you want to follow us over there. That would be a very good decision for you. You could be involved in all these polls. And as of this morning, when I put this up, so about 23 hours later, so about as close as you can get to a full length here, uh, 46 people said yes, they did like them, and 10, per- and 10 people said no. So... Uh, about what is that a 4.6 to 1 ratio of like to dislike so that's pretty good uh personal opinion on the matter jerseys uh, well i am a huge jersey fanatic i love jerseys especially baseball and hockey jerseys those two i'm i'm nuts for so i do like critiquing it i'm more of a fan of like a classic kind of style i'm more like the nice uh, clean crisp lines a traditional style for me like two of the nicest major league jerseys the white Red Sox jerseys and the white uh, Los Angeles Angels jerseys. Even the Dodger jerseys look clean. So I think you can kind of tell I like that kind of white jersey with the team name across the front. Not too much going on. I don't like a very busy jersey. I don't think that's uh, the nicest look. However, in this case, I would give them 3 out of 5. They're, I do like the skyline thing. I like that it's very unique. It does stand out a bit. Uh, the black on gray, not a huge fan of that. The stencil number, while different, I'm not really a huge fan of that kind of look. Now, I know it was by design, and I get that you know some people really are into that. But for me, personally, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of stencil-y looking design. More than that, though, I do really like the trim. I think the trim does make it pop and stand out a little bit. I'd like to see it be a little bit of a lighter gray. I think that would have helped more, and then maybe go with... Uh, like the navy blue for the skyline. I think that may have made it look a little bit better. Uh, obviously, it says York across the front of it too, in case I didn't mention that. Uh, it's kind of a given, though, that's going to be York. So, I mean, do I hate it? No. Do I love it? No. It's a solid three out of five. I think it'll look nice. I think it'll do well in jersey sales, which you can buy at the team store now. All in all, it's like I said, it's a solid three out of five. I'm going to be interested to see, though, if they do decide to redo their home whites. I currently really like the home whites, so I wouldn't want to see them touch it too much unless they want to go and make what I believe is their alternate last year, the ones that said revs and kind of like that 1980s Chicago White Sox style. They want to make that their primary, then I'd definitely be down for that. That I do like. I like those thirds of a real lot. But yeah, and all in all, I think keeping like the kind of rev script front for the uh, home whites would be a solid decision, but I think I'll kind of talk jerseys to death. So we'll move on to the next topic, also staying in the Atlantic League. This is one of the few player transactions that I'm going to cover this week. Actually, I think it's the only one that's going to get covered this week. And it's really just because I know we do have a lot of Patriot fans, so I know they'll be very interested in hearing about uh, Somerset bringing back Scott Kelly. Uh, He returns for his seventh season with the team. But the thing is, Scott Kelly 
and fans are not going to like me saying this, but he's just not that great of a ball player anymore. He really only had one season where I'm like, oh, wow, he's a really good player. And that year he played, I believe, about 36 games right around there. He didn't play more than 50. I know that for certain. And realistically, when you look at him, he does his best work as a bench player. If you're playing him more than 100 games or around 100 games, you're going to be disappointed with the results. Even last year, he didn't play that much. And I mean, each year he had a sub uh, two and a quarter year uh, batting average. So it's not exactly like he's lighting the world on fire. Hell, I mean, in 18, he had, a t- I believe it was a two point RA, uh, my mistake, I'm doing it like an ERA, uh, 0.203 batting average, which there's just really no way to cut that. That's just not good. Last year, I think he got to uh, 223. But even still, it's not that much of an improvement. I understand he's been here a while. I understand he's really not that old of a guy. He's only about 29. So, I mean, he's still fairly young. I thought he was, like, well into his 30s. I thought he was about 34, 35. But I was clearly mistaken there. But the long and short here is I really don't understand why you bring him back from a baseball perspective. I understand from a locker room perspective. He's clearly a kind of leader in that room. He's clearly a stabilizing force. He's been there for the much better part of a decade now. And clearly having that guy who's been through this process in independent league baseball before knows how this organization runs definitely does help uh, some other guys kind of transfer into that, get accustomed to independent league baseball, or in some cases get accustomed just to playing professional baseball and help them make the transition and just generally speaking be a, and I guess it's going to be the most cliche term, but be a good pro. I, I totally get that. I understand the value in that. Like, don't get me wrong. I totally understand it. At the same time, though, I really don't understand why why he's playing again. He, he's just not that good of a player. As far as fielding goes, average. As far as a bat goes, below average. And in a league where there is no minor league system, where there is nobody to just kind of call up, every roster spot means more. And I don't mean this to disparage Scott Kelly. Great guy. But... From just a strictly baseball X's and O's perspective, outside of his presence in the room, I really don't totally get it. Already you have a Somerset team that last year had a very strong first half and unfortunately just got beat out by an even stronger Long Island team. However, when you look at everything here and you take everything into perspective, the second half was abysmal. They couldn't hit on either side, and that's the main reason why they weren't in the postseason last year. Now, granted, the way they played in that second half would have told me it really wouldn't have mattered. Either High Point or Long Island would have done away with them, whichever team managed to uh, get in on that uh, second half there. Both teams were fighting like crazy for it, and who knows how things shaped out here, but I think it's safe enough to say Long Island would have gotten that spot. Long Island still beats them in a five-game series. That much is for certain with the way they're playing that second half. Even with offense, Long Island was just not touchable. You bring back a guy who can't really hit, can't really defend too much, and just generally speaking across their whole offseason, as you'll hear about in probably about a month when we start doing all these um, previews, actually exactly a month, we're going to be doing the Liberty Division preview video. I'll go through all the future plans at the end of the video, but... I really don't necessarily understand why Scott Kelly was the guy to be brought back. And I'm not saying don't bring him back into the organization. The guy's played seven years here. I believe he's second or third all-time in games played. I would assume it would be guys like uh, Nettles, 
that would be in front of him for games played. And he's clearly top 10 in a lot of things because he's played a long time for this team. And I don't want to undersell what he has done for Somerset because he's done a lot for them. But to continue to use a roster spot on him just doesn't make too much sense to me. What I don't get is why you didn't try to transition him into a front office type role, a community liaison type role like you've done with Nate Rowe. Nate Rowe is a perfect example of this. He pitched very well in 18, didn't come back for 19, took a front office job and has seemingly done very well there and he's very present uh, both in social media, I see him a lot on our posts and also in the community. People know Nate Rowe, people like Nate Rowe and I assume you could do the same thing with Scott Kelly. You could have him just being the guy kind of walking around. You can use him in that capacity, give him that front office role and let him know if you don't want it, it's fine. The position, we're always going to have a position open for you. However, at the same time, we can't give you a roster spot. There's just so many other better guys. And I was talking to a a couple of people in Independent League Baseball about this. And the guys I keep beating the drum for is they could have, instead of using that spot on Kelly, they could have gotten Alfredo Marte. They could have gotten a Santiago Chirino. They could have, I mean, Conrad got bumped up to Tampa Bay and now so he's in their system. But... A guy like Conrad Gregor, a guy like a Jose Brazuela, a guy like Trey Hare. There's a bunch of guys. I mean, there's so many options just from the Can-Am League last year alone that I don't quite understand how he they they didn't use a spot on one of those guys. Like Brazuela just got traded. Trey Hare got traded earlier in the year. Presumably, we're going to see a lot more guys like this in the Somerset keep getting moved because that just seems to be the trend. Even Jared Madero's, I think, would have been a better option on that bench there than than a guy like Scott Kelly would be. And again, I understand the significance he has in Somerset. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, though, it, he isn't the best possible option. There's a lot of other guys that are good options out there. And I hope if they are using this bench roll on him, that they're going to fill something out here because so far what they've done this offseason hasn't been terribly inspiring from a batter perspective. We know they're going to be a good pitching team. They always are a good pitching team. Just look at the names they've had in the past. Look at the look at how they did the past two years in pitching. They're always a top five team pitching. You can count on that, especially with performances like last year. And they return a lot of those guys. Now, they lost a handful of them too. Don't get me wrong. They lost to Teasley. They lost a Kubiak. They've lost... I know Sullivan, so that's not great off the bat. But they do have an Oberholzer, they do have a Kynes, they do have a uh, Dormity. They have a handful of guys that are really solid, talented pitchers that should be in the rotation, that should be solid this year. So I'm not concerned from the pitching aspect, but they're going to need at least one or two bats. They're going to need to find them somewhere and bring them in. And I would assume that they're going to be doing more than just uh, Jimmy Paredes and Gustav uh, Nunez. I I can't imagine that that is the extent of their offseason planning so far. So we'll we'll wait and see on that front. But I just wanted to bring up Scott Kelly for that duration of time. Uh, We will now shift over to the American Association for one of the fun promotions in independent league baseball. And this involves a Chicago legend fitting for the Chicago Dogs. We know from last year's thing, Chicago likes to open up their season with some sort of big grab for opening day, some sort of big hook. Last year, they set the Guinness World Records for most hot dogs in an arena. Yes, that happened. Uh, If you'll recall, if you go back to, I believe it was episode three or episode four, 
of the Indie Ball Report, available wherever you can find podcasts, you will see we spend a whole, I'm saying it was about 15, 20 minute length segment discussing as to what Chicago's big announcement could be because they put out a whole mystery video and whatnot. And the long and short is it wound up being if you went to opening day, you got a hot dog costume. And then Guinness said, There's, this is the most hot dogs we've seen in one spot outside of like Coney Island. And boom, you got the world record for most people hot dogs. This year, they decided to switch things up a little bit, and instead, they will have a guest manager or a co-manager for opening day, and they will wear custom jerseys as well. That guest manager will be 1985 Super Bowl-winning Chicago Bears head coach Mike Dicka. So he will co-manage the dogs. He will work alongside Butch Hobson, and the team will wear Dicka-inspired jerseys. So what they will look like is, if you know the Mike Dicka sweater, uh, or I think it's a sweater vest, actually. But regardless, if you just look up Mike Dicka Bears, you're going to see the thing for those that are, don't know Mike Dicka and his work. But it's going to be that same style, only in the uh, colors of the Chicago flag, so that kind of uh, powder blue, oh, red star type thing. It's going to be that same type of pattern, and instead of saying bears across the midsection, it's going to say dogs. It's a fun little thing. It's definitely going to get a lot of Chicagoans out there. I mean, Mike Dicka, at least to my knowledge, is still like a, a god in Chicago. I mean, he brings the Bears their only Super Bowl for a very long time. And I mean, I think may actually be their only Super Bowl to date, which is kind of surprising when you think of a historic team like the Bears that they only have one. It'd still be nice. We'll get a lot of people out to the ballpark. They're also giving away bobbleheads. And I assume they'll be auctioning off the jerseys as well. That typically is how things go in independent league baseball. So in the Chicago area, you may want to check that out. I believe their opening day is May 22nd. However, I don't know that for certain. But we'll link everything in our show notes as well. So you can check that out there. Again, I love the fun promotions. I'm kind of surprised they actually managed to get a very big name like Mike Dicka. I mean, that's definitely going to help for just raising themselves through um, promotions and whatnot. They're going to get a lot of free press out of this. I assume you'll get a couple of local news networks that will come out and take a gander, you know, create a quick little ENG piece on it. You'll get some good word of mouth out of it, too. So be fun to see that when opening day comes for Chicago over in Rosemont, Illinois. We'll go now to one of the last few major stories of the day. And we go to the Pacific Association for that. The Vallejo Admirals have been sold and have a new GM. They have been sold to Dave Finney. He purchased the Admirals and included in this ownership group is World Series champion Johnny Gomes. This isn't that surprising. We've seen a lot of kind of turnover in the Pacific Association over really its whole existence. You'll have ownership groups come in and go and this is just the latest kind of pairing here. Vallejo has always been a very well-ran organization. They typically put a good product on the field. They're very active on the social media. They were one of those teams where I really thought, you know, it would make a whole hell of a lot of sense for them to get involved with this Western Association League that doesn't seem to be getting off the ground, which now would make a lot of sense for the Pacific Association to see about reaching out to Henderson if they want to jump ship. However, I don't think uh, it would work as well, seeing as everything's pretty much centered around the Bay Area, I believe, as opposed to then having one team out in Nevada that would create a lot of travel problems and a lot of issues on that front. So maybe the, the Pecos League would be better for Henderson. However, in any event from that, 
it, Vallejo's always been very well ran. I presume with a new ownership group, it'll bring increased stability, or at the very least, things will continue to run as usual. They'll continue to do a very good job, and they are one of the few teams which I could eventually see if Vallejo decides they want to really invest in the team. They really want to invest in that family-friendly entertainment aspect, which is almost always a selling point. I could see them getting an actual stadium at some point and potentially joining a, I don't want to say a real league because that's disparaging towards the Pacific Association. However, to have them join a a more major league or at least raise the profile of the Pacific Association because as it stands right now and as we've covered before in the past, they're very much just playing in city parks, which makes it no more different really than just a beer league which is disparaging to say because technically these guys are being paid and a lot of these guys do wind up coming through and some of them have made it to the majors. Chris Mazza being the most uh, notable exception that to that list of guys. So it'll be very interesting to see how the ownership affects it. Already we've seen they replaced the GM. Now I'm not sure that was a vacancy to begin with or if there was just a decision to swap out with new ownership. Those things are always possible in situations like this. However, they have hired Heather Luna as the GM. She was the assistant GM with San Rafael in 2018 when they won their Pacific Association Championship. So clearly she knows what she's doing. Uh, Very capable at the helm there. Didn't really do much in 2019, but even still majored in sports management. Has a good track record as an assistant GM. You gotta assume she knows what she's doing. She gets a higher platform here. Uh, hopefully she can get uh, Vallejo back to the top. Hopefully she can get them a 2020 championship. And then from there, hopefully she can kind of continue to move up the ladder. Uh, you always root for them to kind of, or not them, but you know what I mean by that. You always root for these people in lower affiliated leagues to kind of move up the chain just simply because it it always will help the quality of the leagues when they see constant movement, when you see, when players and teams and whatnot see members of these teams just kind of, you know, filtering their way up, it always gives you some more prestige there. So that's always something positive to see. We'll end today's show with just a couple of uh, little topics. Uh, Lake Erie redid their website. It's not that much different. It pretty much is the same. They just changed some of the drop-down menus and whatnot. Pretty meh on it, but we always cover website changes, which appears to be this year's radio deals. For those unaware, last year we covered every team's radio deal because there was nothing to talk about. This year it seems like we're covering every team redoing their website because there's nothing to talk about. And then the last major topic of the day is we have some tryouts, namely for the tri-state area. So we swing back over to New Jersey, Somerset, Long Island, and the New Jersey Jackals all announced that they have tryouts. Uh, Somerset's is first. That is April 8th. It will begin at 8.30, so get there at 8. It's TD Bank Ballpark. And there is a mandatory $50 uh, registration fee, but that will, but all the registration fees will wind up being donated to a particular hospital. I didn't recall which one it is, and I forgot to write it down in my notes. Uh, as for Long Island, theirs will be 10 days later on the 18th of April. That one, that one will begin at 9, so get there at 8.30. Rule of thumb for all of these, get there a half hour ahead of time to get scheduled in everything. If you register in advance, it will be at... It, if you register in advance, it will run you $95, which seems a bit steep to me, but Long Island. And that will be at Beth Page Ballpark. And then as for New Jersey's, it's just the, it's April 29th and April 30th. No time listed, no location listed, no fee listed at this point in time. I would say it will probably be at Yogi Berra. 
it will probably be around 9 o'clock in the morning, so probably get there around 8.30 in the morning, and I will assume there is either no fee or there is a small fee of probably around 45 or less. I don't really know. We get more information. I'll update you on that. Um, oh, yes, and also, if you're interested in buying tickets for the Frontier League All-Star Game in Washington, Pennsylvania, it's a little bit outside of Pittsburgh, tickets will go on sale at the end of the month, March 30th. Uh, or you can get them right now with a purchase of a ticket plan of some sort. Any sort of ticket plan will get you an all-star pass. So definitely go ahead and check that out. If you are in the Washington area, see if you want to invest in that. There's some plans available for really cheap. I think about 50 bucks for five or six games and you get a couple, you get some decent perks with it. I think there's a 10 game plan available for like 80 bucks. And then even season tickets are only a couple hundred. It's not too bad price-wise so it's definitely something to consider it's a good fun night out with the family there so that just about does it for all the news we have it's a quick show partially because like i said it's a solo show so it's really difficult to kind of do these so i appreciate you sticking with me and also it's just not too much you know actually going on in independent league baseball this week Uh, I did say we were going to go and run through kind of future plans here. So I guess I'll do that right now kind of real quickly. So that way I could try and beef this up to the half hour mark so you don't feel too cheated this week. I did announce last week that there was going to be something special coming up for March. And seeing as coronavirus has nearly killed off actual March Madness, that's seriously in jeopardy. There's one thing it can kill off. And that's Indie Ball March Madness. Last year I wanted to do the same thing. However, I didn't think there was enough of a following. Ironically, the following is probably about the same as it was at this point last year. However, we have a lot more interaction on social media, and that social media following has grown significantly. Again, thank you for that. And because of that, we can do our cool plan here. Indie Ball March Mad. So basically, in the latter half of next week's show, we're going to unveil our bracket, and then we're going to put up voting throughout the week. You're going to vote who goes on to the next round, and that's how simply how this is going to work. So each week we'll announce the the winners of the bracket. There'll be a play-in game to get, so that way we have our full 34 team field in there. So next week will be the selection show. Then it'll be the round of 16. Then the round of eight and final four the following week. So we're going to try and really hammer those in there because then we'll be at the end of March. And then we will announce the finalists and the champion on Friday, April 3rd. That will be our conclusion of March Madness because it needs to wrap up that first week in April. Looking forward into April. Generally speaking, plans here. We kind of have April mapped out as kind of a busy month. After that Indie Ball Championship on the 3rd, the 9th, April 9th will be a Liberty Division preview video. So we're going to preview that whole division. Last year I tried doing individual teams. I think I only actually managed to get through Lancaster just because it's very difficult to do a very in-depth thing and get a quick turnaround on it realistically you need about a week to do one of these because it takes a couple days to actually get all the information together it takes another couple days to script everything out takes a day to record and edit that and then takes another day to gather all the video clips edit it together and put together a cohesive video so even just to do an eight minute long video figure it takes a lot of time to do it and being that we got other i'm not just doing this exclusively to turn them out in two days is too much one a week so the 9th will be the liberty division 16th will be the freedom division then the 23rd we will do a can-am division preview so we'll go to the frontier league there on the 24th should be our atlantic league preview as opening day is the 30th 
of April. Figure about a week beforehand, you'll get that preview. We wanted to get as close as possible to opening day so that we can give you the most accurate information possible. And then once we go into looking forward even further into May, obviously that first show that we do on May 1st, I gave you the dates of recording. I, that's how I got all this written down. Obviously, May 1st, we'll talk about the first slate of games, the next slate of games start coming up for that day, and looking forward, just kind of what we expect to see and everything, kind of rehashing everything. Uh, we'll maybe try to get Will back on either for that late April show or that um, early May show. We'll try and get him on somewhere in there. Uh, then May 7th, we're going to have our Atlantic League, our, our American Association preview. I believe that starts. If not, we'll have to do our Midwest preview. I believe that. My mistake, actually. Our Midwest preview comes out on opening day for the Atlantic League, too. So that'll be a busy day. American Association East Division preview comes out on the 7th. Frontier League preview show. So the actual episode is recorded on the 8th. Again, about a week away from actually opening day there. Uh, American Association West Division preview comes out on May 13th. And on May 14th, we have Frontier League opening day. That'll be a busy day for us. Same thing with the following day, which will be the talking about some Frontier League news, which has happened. We'll discuss the season so far to that point on the 15th of May. And we'll also do an American Association preview show that day as well. Seeing as again, they're about a week away from their opening day as well. And that's basically all we have mapped out so far. So we'll run through those important dates again. Next thing you have to worry about is on the 13th of March. So next week, we will begin our Indie Ball March Madness. It will be essentially just a selection show. We'll announce each of the matchups. We'll announce the two playing matches. And you guys will vote on Instagram and on Twitter. Choose, determine who moves on there. It's mainly judged off of fan support, obviously. However, you can factor in play overall quality of the organization that whole jazz there really is no trophy at the end of this just we go ahead and congratulate you and sing your praise for a while and we'll discuss each of the matchups ourselves and discuss each of them the each uh each week so there's that uh tuesday the 17th of march that should be the next video i am going to get working on that probably after i put this episode up today and I'll let you guys know what that is next week. We'll discuss that on the show coming up soon. So on March 17th, that will be up. March 20th, round of 16 show. March 23rd, the next article will be out. We have the round of eight and the final four announcement on the 27th of March. On April April 3rd, we will announce the champion of March Madness for Independent League Baseball. And every Thursday in April, we will announce a new, there will be a new video up on the website for preview. So, Liberty Division first, Freedom Division second, Canon Division third, Midwest Division fourth. That's every Thursday. Our Atlantic League preview show will be recorded on the 24th. It will be up on the 25th of April. As far as May goes, the 7th will be the American Association East Division. The 13th will be the American Association West Division previews. Frontier League preview show will be recorded on May 8th. And then on May 15th, the American Association preview show will be will be recorded and uploaded. So Frontier League on the 8th, American Association on the 15th. And that is the depth of everything we have planned at the moment. 
So you guys can look forward to all of that. I know I rambled on for a while with that. However, I wanted to try and get a little bit more mileage out of the show. So we'll list all the important dates in the show notes. Those are our goals that we're going to try and hit. We're going to try to stick as closely as possible to them. Because like I said, the kind of goal is to put up four shows a month, one video, and one article. I think we pump up that much content, especially in the off-season. I think that's pretty good, especially because we're doing stuff daily on social media. I've started doing the the kind of phone wallpapers on Instagram. So you can take a look at those. We're going to try and get through all 34 teams, give them their first month schedule by the time their opening day comes, which should be should be fairly achievable too there. So I think that's pretty good. And then we'll have some sort of a lineup for in-season programming as well. But that will be determined later on in the year. I think that's pretty good. I'm going to plug everything and get out. Uh, if you enjoy the show, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Uh, we're available on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, basically anywhere you can find podcasts. We're on that, so be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe there. Uh, follow us on Twitter for a lot of breaking news updates. We retweet a lot of the stories we see there, so you'll see a lot of stuff directly firsthand sourced from us. We're kind of just a, a gathering surface, uh, an amalgamator, if you would. We push out all the information there. You can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. We report all the transactions on our story function there, as well as the wallpapers like I was just mentioning. We also put up a couple of cool graphics and stuff and do a lot of a lot of other stuff as well on that too. So IndieBallReport on Instagram. You can find my co-host who wasn't here today on Instagram as well at IndieBallJames. Just bugging with a bunch of stuff. Tell him that you missed having him on the show. Follow Indie Ball James for some lighthearted banter of back and forth Indie Ball discussion. And then uh, you can find everything we work on. The article I mentioned is up on underreview.org if you want to check it out there. Or you can check it out on our site as well, which is IndieBallReport.com. Just type IndieBallReport into Google. It should be the first or second link that comes up. And on the website, you'll find all the previous videos we've done, all the articles we've done in the past, all the podcasts, all the show notes. And I'm going to be putting up the wallpapers on there probably later today as well, too. So you could go right to there and save them right from uh, right from the website onto your phone so you can use them as you see fit. So be sure to check that out. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. That's where we put up all the videos first. And then we try to get them up on Instagram uh, video or whatever that service is called. It's always a pain in the ass to upload there. So I normally don't wind up doing that. So I think that's just about everything else we have left to, uh, I have left to plug here. The only thing I have left to add is very simply, thanks for hanging in this week. It's a solo show. They're always difficult to do. I appreciate you guys listening for roughly the full uh, 35, 40 minutes or so. And next week we should be back to full force. We'll have our Indie Ball Selection show. We'll have a whole bunch of other topics hopefully to cover. We'll probably do our recap of another team's offseason, which will probably be uh, the Sioux City Explorers, because like I said, I wanted to talk about them. and They've had an, an awesome offseason so far for them. Between Bronsima, Harris, O'Sullivan, Gherkin, the list goes on for guys they have. They're off the chain so far. They're my favorites for the American Association to this point. But that's all I got left to add. Next week's show will be a good one. We'll be back to full force. But until then... Don't forget to play all.